Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. Your name's not Dan, you're not coming in. Hello and welcome to another edition of Raw, the 90s Rave podcast. And we go international for the first time today as we welcome one of the absolute legends of Dutch hardcore. Roughneck, a.k.a. Patrick van Kerkhoven, has spent the past three decades regularly playing to tens of thousands of ravers in Holland's thriving juggernaut of a rave scene. And hopefully we're going to be welcoming a new Dutch crowd through this. So hello and welcome to you all. Uh, hopefully you can check out our previous episodes for interviews with legends of the UK's 90s rave scene after this, if you've not done that already. Uh, but as most of our audience is British and won't know much probably about the Dutch scene. We're also going to be finding out from Patrick all about how and why the Dutch hardcore scene has found such huge success over the years, uh, how it compared to the UK in what is a relatively rare interview for him in English. Let's uh, welcome him now. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing? Um, not too bad. Not too bad. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all good. Thank you very I'm, I'm much. Still, I'm still alive in, this, uh, in these weird times and doing lots of stuff. So uh, I'm keeping myself busy. Good, I'm glad. Well, we'll find yeah. out a little bit more about what to, exactly you've been doing to keep yourself busy uh, here as we move through this interview. But um, you started DJing 36 years ago uh, in 1985, so that does age you a bit, I'm afraid, Patrick. Um, why do you think uh, all these years later, uh, when people talk about Dutch hardcore scene, that your name is has remained firmly at the forefront of the conversation some 30 years on from the creation of hardcore as a genre? Um. Well, I guess because I've always been uh, busy with 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 uh, with everything uh, and never really stopped. I, I did like did sort of a trick where I uh, pretended to stop, but this is all uh, planned. But uh, yeah, I've always been been a forerunner of this uh, genre, and um, I, yeah, I've never really went away. You know, I always had labels and brought a lot of people, new people, into the scene. So yeah. I guess I guess that's what it is, and I just uh, for some reason I always had a big following, and and they are very, very loyal in a in a in a very unique way I would say. Yeah. And um, what uh, what do you think have been the main reasons for hardcore's success? I mean, that's the reason for your success. But in terms of hardcore as a genre, what do you think has been the reason for its success in Europe, but in the Netherlands, sort of Northern Europe, but but the Netherlands especially? Um. To be honest, this is like uh, you're probably the first one who has ever asked me this because uh, I never really thought about this so much, uh, you know. Because I, I, I was, I said in the nineties, I was very focused in, in in just creating a scene. That's why also I had so many uh, names in the time, you know, like Wetlock and Juggernaut, Undercover Anarchist, and Phoenix and Night Vision. Uh, and even like probably 20 or 30 more i don't even don't even count it anymore so <clears throat> instead of focusing on the why the hardcore is growing i just wanted it to grow and i wanted it to pretend that it was bigger than it actually was in the beginning so that was what you did you you created a number of different um pseudonyms effectively to make it sound like there was loads and loads of people making music is that right 
That's absolutely true. Because, you know, was, yeah, you know so was, you're so you basically you're the reason one of the reasons for the Dutch scene being so massive and it's all based on lies. <laughs> technically, but this is like humanity, right? Everything is based on lies most of the time. <laughs> you know, That's I was like genius. You know, now, you know, I was like, and at the same time, you know, for every uh, pseudonym, I, I did have like, okay, this is really night vision. This is really juggernaut. So I really tried also to give it an I own identity to for myself, you know, have something. But at the same time, I guess fool people to not think that, oh, this is the same guy again. I fuck this, you know, because right. I was like releasing a juggernaut. I was like, I cannot release a new jogging out on the vinyl again after this one and then again then this would be boring so i would just come up with a new alias and do slightly different thing with a little bit of an own identity and then move on so i can just you know repeat the cycle well that's really interesting because i think uh, a lot of what we talk about with the uk hardcore scene and we will come on to this of course as we mm -hmm. move through through the decade but certainly towards the end of the 90s that i think that the the sound became so homogenized that actually there was there was a real lack of creativity in the scene and maybe if we'd have allowed a bit more creativity and it could even have been sort of some of the bigger name DJs at that point having those pseudonyms and creating loads of different styles so that every rave you went to all right it was the same sort of person but the music's different uh, across the night it might not have got so stale and died that's such an interesting concept was that deliberate for you that you that you know you were like I, was it deliberate in terms of your desire to make it help it grow or was it just about a commercial issue for you no for me it, it never was a commercial issue like you have to understand how i started out uh, is is a was a continuation of when i was a little boy um around uh, you know 13 14 15 years old i was madly in love with uh, with this thing called the house son of chicago and if you listen to it now it's 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 probably people will say it's not even uh, it's not hard at all because it's 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 house but at the beginning you know so like a kick and maybe a little piano uh, some vocals some stabs and that was about it and a little bit of acid uh, but at that time you know for me that was like the next step up because you had things like sly and robbie and uh, i don't know the pointer sisters and uh, stuff like that you know so house with this at that time pounding four to four kick was like holy shit this is stuff this is solid this is what i like but nobody around me knew what uh, what it what it was so when i started to <clears throat> show this music to people they said oh i don't like it it's way too loud too rough blah 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 all this all these things you know at the, it at that time but there was uh, i i just wanted it i just wanted it to um continue this legacy i wanted it to bring this music to the people uh, in my way so uh, at a certain point there was a track by uh, a guy called db uh with a with a with a title called uh, i have a dream and uh, uh the words were like uh, i have a dream that one day people will join together in this music blah 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 along now whatever to join uh, one house uh, people sort of like this um and for me this was like that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna continue this legacy i'm gonna take this words of these guys and i'm gonna bring it to the masses because i said i'm a very serious guy but i don't even know if they meant it that seriously but i took it very seriously so 
for me, it was a point of like, okay, I have to make this music and I have to make quality stuff and let this scene grow. So for me, it was never about commercial uh, side of things. I just wanted it to bring this music to the rest of the world so we would be one people. That was my, my mindset at the time. So I started out, I wanted it to make a house on Chicago. I had no idea how they did it because I, you know, at the time I did not even have equipment or nothing. So I had to figure it out and I, I failed miserably because I had no idea how, how to do it. I wanted it to create house on Chicago, but I couldn't because they, you know, a lot of them, they use like a 909 and everything. I didn't even know what that was at that time. Uh, we're talking about uh, 84, 85, 86, you know? Uh, so I, 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 my first record I made in 89 and it was released in, in 90, uh, shady uh, stuff at the time. So I, I will not go into this uh, so far, but, uh, the stuff I made for my, uh, for my own thing, I was like, it's a bit like house sound, but you know, it was already a bit, bit harder than, than the house stuff, but I really wanted it to make this music. But yeah, I failed a bit and then I just continued on this vibe because people seemed to like it. So I was amazing. Like, like, amazing. A little bit harder. <laughs> so that's an accident as well. This is, what we, this is what we sort of find out a lot along the lines here is that, um, <clears throat> you know, all, a lot of the people that we've interviewed are sort of like, it was all just a bit of an accident. It was a right place at the right time. But it, just, you, you've, just... you've created that, you've helped create the hardcore scene in Holland mm -hmm. because you were unable to make the thing that you really wanted to make. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this this how it originally started. This I was brilliant. like, how, "How do they do it? How how do I get this punchy kick like they have? And how do I? Because I I didn't really know what what equipment they used. In my mind, I saw on these vinyls, I was like, Track Studio Illinois and House in Chicago Warehouse. So in my mind, this became a whole thing. I've you know at that time, I've been at so many house parties in my mind. And I had my own idea of how it was, but now I found out also most of the time those guys were just sitting at home, most of them also just sitting at home with one thing and just recorded it. But in my mind, they were like huge companies that made this really good, uh, in really good studios, this, this, this music. So uh, I also wanted to do that, but in order to get this punch, I had no idea. So I was just cranking up stuff a bit, turning on the gain, and then went, went like, I was like, oh, this is actually not so bad. But yeah, it, it, to be honest, it was kind of an accident because I didn't, couldn't make it the way they did. Wow. So uh, for those that don't know about the Dutch scene, and I include myself really in that, were mm. you... So you started creating this, the sort of harder edge stuff accidentally, but it worked and people were into it. Were there others around that sort of same time doing similar things or were you very much sort of pushing uh, sort of a pioneer in that respect? And then other people went, oh, I like what he's doing. Just like you were trying to copy them. They then tried to copy you and then it developed from there or were there others sort of doing similar? Well, in my opinion, there has been, there's a big misunderstanding of, uh, who is the first hardcore producer or who is like at the base, blah, 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 all these things. Because I said, in my opinion, it's just evolution. Uh, at the time when I was doing my stuff, there was nothing. There was House Son of Chicago. And when I started doing it uh, here in Holland, there was basically nothing. So I was, I was actually, I don't want to say it, but yeah, especially definitely uh, the first or at the first wave because um 
I, at, th at that time, I wasn't known as Roughneck, by the way. I, I started the label called uh, 80 Ohm Records. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on 80 Ohm Records, uh, we did like the first 10 re releases, and I had a big hit in the UK at some point with a, a track called uh, uh, Incubus, which was a uh, pseudonym of mine, uh, with The Spirit. And it became a huge, uh, set, uh, huge hit in the what they call now classic era. Then uh, later on, we signed this this group that, on our label. That later on, uh, this this tune became so big that it was signed by RNS. But originally, we released it on my label uh, that I had at that time because I left at a certain point on Eight Own Records. And this group was Human Resource with the track called Dominator. Now, there's no nobody in the world in this in this music genre. Who doesn't know this track? No. I mean, it's been so heavily sampled over the years. And, I know, and but we released it. It was not made by me, by the way. It was made by Human Reason, but we signed those guys. And then after that, I made <clears throat> my last track before I left, which was called Mind Controller, which also... So this was uh, before the time when they said it was hardcore or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's such a weird... In my opinion, such a weird uh, discussion about who started hardcore or whatever. But because if you look at it, then I was definitely. We are in the presence of greatness. I think we're in the presence of greatness. I don't want to take this credit, but it just disturbs me. <laughs> we'll give it to you. You have way. it. You've got it. No, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, the, the thing is like they, they want to pinpoint a certain thing. And then at a certain point, they people came out with like uh, Mark Akadipane, who, by the way, is a friend of mine uh, with his uh, We Have Arrived. They marked that as the first hardcore track or Paul DJ Paul, who was at the beginning, apparently. But uh, in all fairness, I already had my label before DJ Paul even started with with his label. So uh, then then I should be the one. But this is a ridiculous uh this is a ridiculous situation because right there at that time at 89 uh, eight, uh, 90 i started out we had the marka cardi pain in in germany doing his thing we had luca pretolesi is called digital boy in italy then we had in, in belgium we had um, uh, oliver ablos patrick de meyer you know who did things like mno uh, uh, uh rave uh rave channel i believe a uh, launch of acid and then in america we had lenny d the uh but uh, if you look at it this way, then I think Lenny D should be the first one because, uh, to be honest, he started in the House Sound of Chicago era. So this whole <laughs> thing about DJ Paul is the first one or Mark is the first one is ridiculous. If you go further and further back, then it should be Lenny. There was always D. the first of someone and else. Then after Lenny would be me. So, but <laughs> at this, you know, this group that I just uh, said, for some reason, this all started around 89-90 but people just want to pinpoint always one person which i think is fucking ridiculous because it's evolution mm. like so this is how how it grew so this is how we started all uh, basically at the same time yeah so and this you, is how yeah, it well, really started well we're, we're gonna we're, okay so you all created we've got we, we've found that we, we, we'll, we'll come to more of that later on we're gonna uh I want to, I want to, I'm interested to know about the backdrop of how this all happened in terms of Holland. I certainly know how it all happened in the UK, but the, the Dutch politics and all that stuff, we won't know anything about it. We'll talk about that shortly. It's about a pressure. It's about a roar.
So we're here on Raw the 90s Ray podcast with uh, Roughneck, one of the Dutch scenes juggernauts. Uh, he's also called Patrick. Uh, Patrick, uh, <laughs> we're talking uh, there about the sort of, I'm interested to get the sort of idea of what Holland was like, mm-hmm. how that helped to create the scene. So if I, you know, you'll know this because you were heavily influenced yourself by, by, by British rave scene. And, and that came out in the 1980s, which was a, a strange, politically turbulent time where um, creativity was being cracked down upon by a right-wing government. Um, you know, the 70s and the 80s, all very turbulent. And that came sort of out of that and as a sort of kickback to it. What was, I don't know anything about the politics scene in 70s and 80s Holland that might have created this. Was Was it similarly fraught? <laughs> You're asking me if if a government is fraud. No, but you'll know, won't you? If <laughs> I think all governments the... are fraud. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But 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 what I mean is, what were the social situation around the Dutch uh, rave scene growing in that period? You know what, Tom? To be honest, I never really um, did anything or had anything to do with politics, so I didn't even focus on that. To be... so I really cannot answer this question. For me, I was just busy with the music that's what i was doing as like just like like a like a horse you know with like blindfolded like music i have to do this this is what it so i don't know anything about politics i didn't at that time didn't even uh, wasn't wasn't even aware that politics was apparently uh, one of the big players in this music uh, game and this is why i always probably also been very on my own and doing my stuff and didn't really fit in in a lot of things because i didn't I didn't do politics. Does so. music does music in Holland have the same links to politics that it does in the UK? So politics very much influences a lot of what our culture is like in terms of popular culture and rave music and the sounds and the scenes. Is it is it pegged in the same way in Holland? The only thing I know about politics is nowadays uh, that I see more, and I'm sure it was also back then, is that it's about you know who knows who and who can do what for who. And I had never an idea of this, how this worked. And to be honest, I'm still not very good at it. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's okay. Uh, let's get on to something that you do know. Why, why did you decide to become a DJ in the first place? How did you get into that age 15? Um, well, to be honest, I was all, always busy with music since I was about five, six years old. And I remember that um, I think I was around eight or something my uh, uh my neighbor was a very short woman like uh, yeah like maybe half my size and i'm not even big but you know she was a very old uh, woman and she gave me like a phillips turntable with those uh speakers that you can just put on top you know and you can set it up like very simple thing and um i i just had a record and i also started what they call scratching <laughs> scratching can you imagine a nine-year-old guy scratching it's like just horrible but my brother came into my room and he saw me do this this stuff with this 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 record player that is like it's horrible it's not even a needle it's probably like a nail that they used instead of, of a proper uh stylus you know and he said well that doesn't that actually sounds pretty good you should do something with it so i just kept on <laughs> continuing this <laughs> and i bought the tape decks and all this stuff and i got some 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 equipment from people and it just started uh, you know developing and then um yeah so 
at a certain point, I, I said I started to listen to this house of Chicago. I started doing mixes on on tape decks first on a cassette deck, you know, with the pause knob, a horrible experience. And then later on, I actually got like a, a proper uh, tape deck with those spinning wheels, and then you could cut into the into the tape. And just uh, I started making mixes where you cut little pieces mm. and they glue them together, so you could like do little edits and all. Have you still got them? uh i think maybe somewhere <laughs> at, at home <laughs> yeah, i kept on to them for a very long time but i had to record them at some point because the glue just you know dissolved <laughs> <laughs> so i definitely have those digital mixes and if i listen to them right now i'm i'm, I'm even still pretty impressed because it's pretty well done um so that's what i started doing at the, at that time and then uh, from there i just moved on more and more into like a proper gear and figuring things out but i've basically already been busy with music since i guess around six years old yeah okay and and, 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 and then at a, at a certain point when i was i believe it was a, around 12 i started recording mixes from the radio uh from a dutch radio and then when i was around i believe it was 16 years old i went to this club this because this was around uh 86 87 yeah around that time and then i started mixing uh like disco and all that uh, at that 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 um at that uh club where i used to go and then later on i decided to you know what i'm gonna do because now we're on the house vibe now i'm gonna bring my my house records and this is so fucking funny because i started playing it and then this owner of this joint came to me he's like i don't know what this music is but we don't want this here get away from here he grabbed my me and my records he threw me out really? of the club yeah he was like we don't want this stuff it's this is not our audience and this is horrible music blah blah, blah all this thing but then later, a couple of years later, it was really, uh, uh, you know, it became popular. And he called me like, hey, can you come over Come here? back. And I was like, yeah, I can. But now you have to pay me. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. And so how did you go from being a, a DJ in a, in a small club like that um, to an, and a bedroom DJ to a, a main stager? And how quickly did that happen and develop? And was it to do with your label? I, I, I guess you know in the beginning I, I started out uh, yeah I started out in a set at home with mixes and all that because that was my true love you know making uh, music because that that's what I wanted it to do I wanted it to make house music um so that was basically my first thing uh, I also was doing a bit of DJing but my my big thing was producing stuff because I wanted to make this music. So this kind of similar, you know, went about because at that time you basically were a, a DJ or a producer. Uh, nowadays it's it's completely different, but it started out this way that you usually, usually you had producers and you had DJs. Like both at the, at the same time was still pretty rare at that, that point. So in in this way, at some I saw myself like okay, I'm a DJ a bit, but I wasn't thinking about a DJ career because that that didn't even exist in my mind that that would uh, would be possible, you know, in this way. Yeah, I mean the famous uh, DJ in the weekend at this same club, you know, that was a thing that we knew, but not like international. So I was more focusing on making music and my label. So first, as I said, I had the eight to one label. Then later, uh, I left this because of other reasons. And then, um, then I started my uh, in-between label, which was called Wipeout Records. Um, 
which uh, yeah of course had uh, the, the name says something you know <laughs> i wanted to wipe out everything before and then this was there were about three uh, releases on that and then because i, I was uh, half owner of the 801 uh, label i could uh, free a human resource so i uh, the, because of me they they i i, I the contract was dissolved so they moved on and they started their access fee label uh i mean company and then uh then i went from wipe out to them and then i started roughneck records <laughs> that's what happened in 1993 yeah. yeah so what where did the name roughneck came come from uh it means rude doesn't it in dutch is it some is that what it means are you rude <laughs> <laughs> they look at me do i look like a rude person no <laughs> no no i'm not i'm not well uh some women call me rude sometimes because of the stuff we say but yeah you know we're men you know we say stupid things and you know what so what is, what is roughneck and where did you get it from um well originally uh, a roughneck in the normal sense with uh you know proper spelling uh, those are the guys that work on those drill platforms in the in the ocean, you know, and they get the, this oil stuff in their neck, and then it, oh. it becomes a bit dirty, and then you're a roughneck. That's that's uh, that's the original term. But where I got it from is because, uh, yeah, this is this is this is great. Um, I was as I said I was very heavily influenced by the UK scene. I was listening to that much more than than the stuff that was happening here in Europe because that was for me a bit of like eh, it's so simple and boring. It was not really for me at that time, you know. I had my own thing, but I <clears throat> I really liked breakbeats and all that stuff, you know. So I was listening to uh, labels like Production House and this uh, at at production house there was this guy that i i for me this was the absolute top and this guy uh rasvi uh, better known as asen man he was like holy this is this is like how you know for me this was magic and one of my favorite tracks at that time was uh, the life uh, the life and crimes of a roughneck and so uh in on it to honor this guy i decided to say i'm gonna name my label roughneck records and i want to bring the same quality as that that he's doing so this whole roughneck thing became wow. is actually sort of an ode to to asen wow how yeah. interesting uh, people will thing. not know this at all this is such a such a revelatory sort of thing and, and i i mean i have you, I mean, you, you've probably spoken about this before, but people in Holland now are like, who the fuck is Aysen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, I don't really care about what other people no, think. No, For me, quite, this, quite. But it's, in, but it's interesting. My, my, eye, my eye was was looking to to the UK, you know, to uh, to uh, because I I was listening. Oh man, I was listening to so many of those mixtapes of uh, Helter Skelter and and Dreamscape and all that stuff. This is I had all the tapes, so I listened to all the DJs who played there. That's why I know all of them, like Scorpio and. Lord where would you Cooper Where and, would you get all that stuff from? Uh, at that time, I was working in a record store in in Holland uh, called Midtown. Doesn't exist anymore. Um, and they would import that stuff so we got those boxes you know the, the 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 big dreamscape boxes and everything and then they had the 12 cassettes in there or eight or mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. much they did at that time so from every dj you had the cassettes so yeah, i was yeah. listening to 
do their stuff over and over and over and over again. And I was so heavily influenced by this, this so that this became my thing. I was like, I'm, I'm, this is what I want to do. So this is that's and but you know because I'm from Holland and there was a, the, the the kicks and everything was a little bit louder. I decided. The, the funny thing is, originally I wanted it. Uh, first thing I, I thought was like I'm gonna make this uh, Roughneck Records also a breakbeat label. But I coming from where I live, I quickly found out that the Dutch culture or over here breakbeats were let's say too difficult for this people here they didn't really like it it's too hectic or i don't know it's not like doof, 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 doof. so but you know i I'm, I'm a musical person so of course i like uh, grooves and breakbeats as i also like uh, old school hip-hop uh, a lot so this this connection is very 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 easy to see so I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take these breakbeats because I like that. I'm not going to make it a breakbeat label because that doesn't work here. And I will. I was not thinking that I was going to be famous in the UK at that time. So there was no point. So I decided to just combine it. I just do this. And then I'll just do my own because I liked harder case because I was already doing this for a few years, like cranking up the game more and more. So I just cranked it up a bit more and put the big breakbeats on top of it. And then I had my own Hoover sounds that every knows about that I do a lot and just combined it and then i dropped it and for some reason that really worked <laughs> so this is how how roughneck record started and of course here in holland people will still thinking like i don't know about this roughneck records it's like it's how pun king but this these breakbeats things and uh. this hoover thing it's not so simple you know it's at the time i guess a bit too complicated for this starting scene right because it, to be honest it was a lot i did a lot of this there's a lot of information <laughs> in those records um but uh yeah this 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 caught on at, uh with 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 every release that i did and it sold quite good at that time so we was like yeah we're just going to keep on continuing this and then at a certain point, I, th I think it was around release three or four or something, I was invited to uh, come to New York by Lenny D. He, wow. uh, he was doing parties at that time. And uh, I did two live performances, one in the Limelight in New York and one in a club in uh, Cleveland. I don't know the name of the club, but it was on Elm Street, which was hilarious to me at that time. But uh uh so th th at that point i was starting to see like okay maybe this is this is gonna be something uh, apparently we do live now but i was not really being booked on roughneck records at those uh, uh, hardcore parties here in holland yet i i was spinning before that uh in the in the um in the classics era just before roughneck but then when roughneck uh started for some reason this this stopped because i guess it was too difficult for people but you know as time goes goes by it became more popular and then i don't know exactly how it started i think it started more with with the live performances um that i did yeah there was more the live performances in the beginning that we did and then only later became the dj part again um uh, uh, funny enough, because you want to know about the, the Dutch scene, and of course I do know uh, some things about it. But uh, at a certain, <laughs> certain I mean, moment, you'd hope, I mean, you'd hope so. 
given that you are uh, partly responsible for it and have lived in it for the last 30 years. You'd hope you know a little bit about the Dutch scene. <laughs> I, I know a little bit. I know more now because now I'm, I'm a bit more uh, open-minded about things than I, I was at that time because at that time I was really focused on Roughneck, nothing else, just like, just, you know, blind blind for anything outside of that. And uh, for some reason, because it, it, it started to, uh, to catch on in the UK, so this then a funny situation started. Like I was uh, this Roughneck Records in Holland, but I was being booked more <laughs> in Scotland. Really? So I became sort of a part of the Scottish scene. That's always stayed. So at a certain point, I I think I was more in Scotland than here. And I also went to other places around the world. But is, for some is reason, that, I, is that I was, is that because <clears throat> Holland? was was a bit more open-minded as regards to the sort of harder sounds that you that, that were out there in the way that Holland wasn't I, I I guess I I I to be honest I don't really have a have a good explanation for it but I mm. guess it's because the people in the UK you know they are they are accustomed to uh to breakbeats this is in your culture or for some reason or for ever since and it's a logical step that it, that it evolves into harder stuff. So when they heard my kicks on top of it, it probably blew most of their minds. Like, holy shit, we have this, and then this, boom. So, well, it's, it it's, fun. so it's, it fun. it's funny because yeah. in in Scotland, so in in the UK, um, for anyone, any Dutch listeners out there who don't really know about the UK scene, this is might be interesting for you. It, weirdly, um, generally, as a rule, the further north you go the harder the music. Uh -huh. And so in down south, it was much more breakbeat focused and often piano focused and things like that. And then the further north you go, it becomes more of a four beat. And then in Scotland, it's like real hard. So you would have found <laughs> a very good home <laughs> for yourself <laughs> in Scotland because it's not, I don't know why it is. It's some sort of weird sort of anomaly thing. I don't know what it is about the north. I think they're probably harder. They're tougher people. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, uh, uh, yeah, Scottish people, I, you don't mess with them. <laughs> <laughs> They're very friendly, but, you know, if you piss them off, I guess it's not, not a very good idea. No, that's true. <laughs> but did you ever, general, did you ever consider moving to Scotland if you were booked there all the time? I was almost there every week. It was crazy. And to be honest, I, I, I absolutely love those guys. Uh, I, I still... I still I feel at home every time I I, I come there. I, I was like, yeah, this is this is nice. How does a UK crowd compare to a, a Dutch crowd? To be honest, I have not been so many times to the uh, to not outside of Scotland to the other parts of of the UK. So I don't really have a uh, an honest uh, good. Uh, opinion about it because I simply don't uh, don't have enough knowledge to form a good opinion. So it would not be very fair to say something about it. I mean, I've been there a few times and it was it was fine, but it, compared to Scotland, where I, I've been there, like I can't even count like hundreds of times. I don't I don't even know. It was well, what about what about a Scottish crowd then? You know, we say British, but we say a Scottish crowd compared to a Dutch crowd. What are, are there differences? Oh, the, the, definitely, yeah. What, there, like what? Uh, so um, every time I went to Scotland, it is so so much uh, it's so much energy. 
might have also been drugs. I don't know. I'm I'm very stupid when it comes to drugs because I I don't do it. So I don't even recognize stuff. So for me, it was like, oh, they are really enthusiastic here. This is awesome. Oh, but then more, most of the people say, oh, didn't see or he took something. I'm like, no, he was just really into it. <laughs> like I'm complete oblivious when when it comes to these things. But they're also you know, and they also like to drink a pint here and there. So then you know, they are very. Oh, let's do this and just go for it. And uh, I went on stage and it was just madness, madness, like every whistles and, and shouting and screaming, like constantly, constantly. And then I got to Holland. I don't want to put my own scene down because that would also be weird. Because well, mate, honestly, things. you don't, you can't put your scene down. It's massive and incredibly impressive. But there are differences. You don't, you're not putting, absolutely. You can't like, put it down. Like, it's so impressive. But it's, it's just, I guess, for some reason here, it's it's let's say less enthusiastic. I guess um, the, when 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 you go to Scotland or the UK in this case, people go out they go out to go out you know they don't go out to just stand there being like yeah this is really this is hard but i'm more tough than you are i don't know they they just go out and they want to party and that's what they're gonna do i never understood that where where i go to some parties and then you see, I see people hanging on the wall all night just standing there you know i i guess i i there's there's differences in people is some people mm. don't party as much i understand that but some people, they just stand there. They look really bored. And then I'm like, why do you go? Why do you even go out then? You know, when you're just standing like this all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I can't work it out either. And also, I, I, I do wonder as well uh, about the further north you go. There's that, that they do part. People do seem to think that they do party harder. And I wonder if it's a, a combination of shit weather. Uh, plus, <laughs> they are finally freed and they can do something. Yeah, they're like, wow. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Plus, um, I do think that the North has a tougher time. It's not it's not a hard and fast rule because there are areas in the southwest of England as well that that have like they're they're much poorer than some of the urban areas or some of, you know, the south or whatever. But the further north you go, I think that it's fair to say they get a tougher time of it in terms of the amount of the wages they get and, you know, help from government, etc. And actually, they like they, you know, if they do have a tough time at the weekend, they like to go out and just forget it all and just go mental for it. So I think there is something for that. I think certainly in London as well, there is a feeling that people are sometimes a bit too cool for school. And they're like, yeah, yeah, wicked, cool, cool. Whereas actually up north, they're like, I got a fuck, let's go. Woo-hoo! So I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I never even really thought about, uh, about it this way. But yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, look, every, every, every area and every music scene, and this is why it's so fascinating exploring this stuff. Every facet of the world is influenced by something. You know, and, and it's just sort of working out what that is and why that might be. And it's just, it's just so interesting. Um, So you were playing more in Scotland, but the, the, the Dutch scene was growing and developing. And, and eventually they, I guess, so what happened? Was it the Dutch scene eventually embraced more sort of change and more difference? So you were able to, to become a part of that well, wider they, scene? They, they saw, of course, that, that Roughneck was becoming more and more popular and of course, I I, br- I brought a lot of influence from uh, from the UK back because I was there every week. So this uh, translated into my music. It's inevitable, you know. I I, I come to, to 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 Scotland most of the time, and I see people like cheering and whistles. So at that time, I started also wearing a whistle and everything, and nobody here on what, what what's this roughneck dude doing with his with his 
weird whistle there. Like they didn't understand where it came from. But I started doing this. This so this became like an iconic thing. They would see all oh, this is roughing. This is the guy with the whistle. I would be on stage doing this all this stuff. Humans are so brilliantly simple, aren't they? I mean, they are like you're like oh, the guy's got a whistle. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people really were. They're like. I don't like this whistle. It just hurts my eyes because they did not in Holland. We did not have this culture of whistles. Yeah, we did have it very shortly in the beginning in the classics era, like around 19, you know, uh, in the dominator like kind of era, but not a little bit later. Um, but yeah, so but you know, Roughneck became more and more popular, and then I started to also have a couple of Dutch hits. Like one of the biggest one, of course, is. Uh, uh it's 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 by this reaction that i did together with with one of my producers uh, an absolute called, uh, classic yeah it's called uh yeehaw yeah we all know it if, if there's anybody who's into hardcore who's listening to this they're probably not into hardcore if they don't know yeehaw it is such an iconic tune and actually fits in very well to like brisk used to play it a lot basically so i think brisk and you know it's sort of signature tune for brisk and so that harder sort of bouncy techno style he would either start or finish a set with it and everyone would just go mental for it is it is it everyone loves it here in the hardcore scene amazing yeah credit, it's, it's, credit to you uh it's it's the thing is it's a tune it, like for some reason it works everywhere on the planet it, it's just really uplifting but it, the, the funny thing it's it's probably the the, the song that uh, that has had the least amount of effort put into it we made it in 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 like a few hours that's it oh really <laughs> this is another funny thing i i talked with him um about it like there's this guy called scott brown and we are we have a good friends now you know but at a certain moment in time scott started pissing me off because he started sampling stuff from my roughneck records and then this this stuff would work and then at a certain point we started like we're just gonna do something like this back and then we started this this reaction product and then we had yeehaw like you know let's also just make something simple like this because people like simple things and we're just gonna fuck about with this also a bit and then this thing became like massive and it was like oh my god you know <laughs> So there was a bit of a, a bit of a sort of competition going on between you and Scott for a while, was there? Yeah, like sort of, but you know, we were not uh, enemies or anything. He probably didn't even know about it. And for me, it was uh, for us, it was just like uh, just you know a bit of frustration that we needed to get out. And so we decided, oh, let's just also make something simple, and then maybe Amazing. they will recognize and then stop this. You know? And it worked. <laughs> So there's a lesson for life there, isn't there, really, Patrick, I think, is like you can you can spend loads of time on something. You can really put your blood, sweat and tears into it. But actually, just knock something out in a couple of hours and, you, and you're going to have the, one of the biggest hits of your life. <laughs> and now, now I've talked with Scott uh, several times about it and, and we are really, really good friends now. But, you know, nice. at that time, I didn't even know who this guy was. I just saw him appear <laughs> on these records all the time. And then people say, oh, this is really good. And I'm like, wicked. <laughs> We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. 
As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com where you can find loads of cool extra content and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. On Friday the 20th of August, a new event, Return to Source, celebrating 90s rave, hardcore, jungle, happy hardcore, drum and bass, and techno. Touches down at Suki 10C in Digbeth, Birmingham. We have Fusion South Coast legend DJ Druid, Quest and Fiber Optics DJ Fallout, the uprising northern legend that is DJ Paulo, and London Town's final trickster playing his first happy hardcore set in over 18 years. Tickets are priced at only £14. Just search Facebook and Eventbrite for Return to Source Rain. You're known for inventing what is called artcore, and you sort of you know you say that Roughneck Records was the sort of first artcore label. What it's not a term that we use in the UK. How do you define artcore, and 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 where did that come from? Well, I said um, I was inspired by by Asen a lot, and this was a like a you know I just told the story about it. So for me, this was thing, and I I saw what he was doing also as art. And I tried to combine uh, the music and show that I I wanted I, I just wanted it to be different and also the, the sleeves that we did was a bit more interesting in my opinion than most of the artwork that was out there at that time. The artwork I do have to give credit to Patrick Moulin because he 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 designed the first ones you know the framework. Um, so I was like, so this is art and this is sort of hardcore. And, and I, I think this music is art in itself. This is how I looked at it. So I was like, so one on one is 27. So uh, let's call it artcore. And this is how I saw it because I, I saw that it was a different than other things that was that were going on at that time by a lot of other people. At that time, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful now, but at that time, I saw a, a lot of the music that was done by a lot of colleagues. For me, it was too simple, too, too straight, just a hard kick. And I was like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. It is more to this music, you know? Can be more interesting combinations of sounds. Create some good vibe, good sounds. Grab a synthesizer, make your own sounds and stuff. Of course, I also sampled a lot of stuff. Absolutely, I sampled, I sampled a shitload of stuff from the UK because I really wanted it to be part of it, and I wanted to show these guys like, hey, I'm listening to you. I hear what you're doing. I'm, I'm gonna do my thing. But at the same time, I really tried to bring it in the best way I could and 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 add a lot of other extra things on top of it not just to sample it to sample it you know 
and a lot of the stuff that a lot of other people were doing at that time for me were just eh. now i, I do look at it a bit differently because i grew <clears throat> a bit older and i see also a lot of things from that era that i didn't actually like at that yeah. time now i mean that like, happens i mean that happens doesn't it you grow older and you you and you just, end up I'm just honest about it you know yeah, but you end up growing older and you end up sort of valuing different things or seeing, yeah, when, or seeing when a value young, in something. Yeah, when you're younger, you're more into very, you're very... Um, you're a dick, basically, when you're young. Oh, this is super... <laughs> and now you become a bit more... You see also other sides. Young know? people are basically dickheads. I mean, that's basically <laughs> the thing. Is like they, they, they behave like... I know I did. Yeah. Like, you know, you behave in a way and you're like, oh, God, I can't believe I behave like that. But that's what young people do. And that is part of being young. And then you get old and you're like, Oh, I've got a bottle of stuff. Stuff is being invented because they have this mindset of like, I'm not going to do it this way. This is how I want to do it. This is also my mindset I had that time. Otherwise, I would have never started hardcore if I would have just followed the, the, the simple rules. But in, in terms of the hardcore, um, so th I, I'm interested in your connection between art and music because when we started Raw, whole, a big part of it I always wanted from the very outset was that we wanted bright, bold, vibrant artwork and and, mm -hmm. and and all that and and, we, and i think you know we've, we've we've achieved that but it for me rave and art come hand in hand you know they are intrinsically linked um and so i'm interested you know that iconography that you had around right it's such a famous image you know it's such a famous logo you see it and you know it's right you know if you're into the hardcore yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see it and you're like that's rough neck you know mm -hmm. how important did, when you were designing it at the start were you like i mean you didn't draw it but you know when you when you guys came up with it was it very much like want something that's going to you know people going to just recognize instantly i'm going to tell you the story about the logo hmm. uh as said this these credits really go to patrick mooland um he's also known as reanimator and uh, psycho uh, psycho punks i believe that they did yeah later um uh, one day I was at uh, at uh, XSV and and they they told me hey we have a, a guy and he draws stuff uh, by hand and now we think he's really good and we want you to meet him because he's also making music maybe you can do something together because that was just pre roughneck era you know I was just trans uh, you know going from my uh, second label to excuse me to uh, roughneck records so we started talking uh, this Patrick and me. And uh, we had like a like a connection. He was a uh, I was a bit of a um, specific guy, let's call it this way. And he is also a very specific guy. So we had like a connection, and I told him about my plans that I was going to do a, a label and 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 my idea about it. You know, I told him with him about Ace, and he also liked the breakbeats and all that stuff. And I told him like I want to do something really nice, special. You know, it has to be some form of art maybe we can do something together so we started talking and then at some point he um i told him you know what i i'm gonna give you free hand just give me something good and then and and let's do this so he he called me up he said i think i have something i went to his house and what he had it was half of the roughneck head just half of it um and he and uh, he said well i i this is this is uh, you know kind of like your face a bit you know and i was like you know can we not just mirror it and then put roughneck on top of his head 
because at that time I was wearing uh, what they, uh, was very popular was a, a flat top. You can see it, it you know, like, and that, this signified my flat top that I had at that time. That's why the letters on top of are also straight in the head. And then, so it basically, it was my face that he drew. And then oh. we put roughneck on top of it because it was uh, actually, it was only half of it without the name. And then we made it into this thing. So we discussed it. So actually it's my face. Right. And this is the flat top. How interesting. So that this 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 became the logo. And since he was drawing stuff, and he he came up with this framework, you know, it, uh, because we 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 discussed that it has to be something that people can recognize always because we want to have quality, and it it has to be consistent. So he drew the framework with with the title here, uh, the name of the producer here. The, the beam on on the bottom with with the, the 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 title and always this logo right on the on the yeah if you look at it right in front of you on the right side and on the on the back also <clears throat> so all the covers are all the same with a few exceptions because they are special series you know this was a deliberate uh, thing mm. where we let go of it but technically it's always the same and since I restarted it again like oh, this is now 2018 again. I also just went back to this again because this is what I like. <laughs> well, the reason why you went back to it, for people that don't know this, is that you've had legal issues with the uh, record label. Is that right? It basically, you ended up in court over a, a lot of this stuff and you lost the use of the Ruffleck image for a while. And and I, I, can you tell us that story? And I'm, I'm interested as well how much... Ooh. I mean, it, 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 it's a big story. It's a, so it's, it will probably be too long, and I don't want to go into much details because it's not a, it's not a nice part of. Could, the, could you? I mean, could you? Could but, you tell but, it in a in a brief in a brief yeah, way that's not going to upset you too much? No, no, no. I'm not going to be upset. Like you have to move on to certain point. But um, what happened is uh, at that time, you know, we were selling good and access fee. At a certain point, they just, you know, they as a company, they have to they have to pay royalties and all this. And I had an agreement with with uh, with them that um, they would pay me, you know, uh, the royalties normally, and I would pay uh, also the royalties then to uh, to the to the producers that were on my label. But at a certain moment in time, uh, it started to to be because I'm very punctual. So we we actually paid my producers. That's what we did. But XSV started to pay later and later and later while I was paying my producers on time because I did not want my producer yeah. to think that there was a problem with access fee not paying because I just wanted them to be happy and think, like, hey, yeah, I always get my money on time. I can just produce good music because yeah. that's good for your mindset. Because if mm. you think uh, I'm going to be fucked over or whatever, you don't really, as a, as a producer, you're also like, we, we are sensitive people, most of us. Of us, everybody yeah. likes being paid on time, mate. Oh, yeah, also, but we, <laughs> we, most of them they pretend to be tough. But in in fact, <laughs> you're you're a musical person, so of course you're you're playing with emotion. So it's logical that most of them are also sensitive persons. So if you're in a bad mood, you will not produce good. Well, mm, you can't mm, produce good music, but but you, uh, most by uh, with a lot of people, their production goes down and they don't want to anymore, and then they disappear. I didn't want that to happen, so I was this buffer between. My producers and XSV. So, but at a certain moment, this started to become so long that they were behind like almost two years. And at a certain point, this amount of money was so big that I, I, I could I, I could not even start to pay my producers anymore because they owed me so so much money. 
that I had no no other choice than to say at a certain point, this has to stop. We cannot. This this is impossible. I don't have the money anymore. My now my this I have to go with this problem to the producers, which is what I did not want to. So I, I had no, uh, we gave them so many options and so many uh, possibilities to pay. And it just, it was just, yeah, we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. We'll do it, blah, blah, blah. But it just never happened. So at a certain point, we decided there's no, we have to, we have to mm -hmm. go to court now. Mm -hmm. So we did. And we're not talking about a small, uh, small amount. We're talking about you, you should be looking at a millionaire right now. This wow. is not funny. This is not a funny joke. Uh, it's not a joke, you know, I'm, I'm not so wow. we won the court eventually um which costed a, a, a really a lot of money but what they did is they um they they filed for bankruptcy and here in holland then um it's done they didn't have to pay me anymore so wow. i paid a lot of money to to do this court for me and to get the money and to and for my producers we won um, and still didn't get the money. The judge said, "Yeah, you have to pay this guy this money because this is ridiculous." He didn't, you know. And they filed for bankruptcy. Access fee disappeared, and I was left with nothing but huge bills. Fucking hell, man! That yeah, must have been well, really it's, shit. It's it's, 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 this is in short. Like I'm gonna yeah, 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 yeah. the details because a lot more shit happened. But I'm sure this yeah. is in big big lines what what happened. <clears throat> so then it fell apart, of course. And yeah, this was a this was a this was a big problem. And, and then in this court case, like what 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 did happen? Like um, the only thing I, I I got was I I became the master owner of all of, of all my tapes again. This is um, so I didn't get the money, but I was master owner. But at that time, there was not really a point to having it. Rather than yeah, you have it. Now it's 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 nice to have it, of course. Um, but also in this court case, the logo was assigned to me actually. So I didn't actually lose it, but, uh, a lot of very nasty games have been played during this court game. And in one of those games is that they sold the logo to a third party, uh, which is not allowed when you're, in, uh, you're doing the uh, case because basically everything is frozen. Um, but they did. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know um so at that point i thought oh, i didn't really know that at that time so i started uh because i, I had such, such a bad vibe at that point of roughneck records that i decided to go into drum and bass territory and just make roughneck records a drum and bass label hence the few uh drum and bass releases that came number 50 and 51 i believe in 50 yeah 52 maybe they were on roughneck records actually then I received a, a nice message from the person who for, at some point uh, got his hands on the logo telling me that I was uh, <laughs> illegally using the Roughneck logo. Oh, me? So, oh, I am. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. I, I was like, <laughs> infringing on there. Cheeky bastards. Yeah, this is this really <laughs> happened. Yeah. Uh, but we, we, we talked about it. We talked it out now. I'm not going to name the names yeah. and it, it's fine. But yeah. <clears throat> I was offered. So I stopped Roughneck Records again and then it became Rough Tech. And then I continued drum and bass up until 65, I believe. So this is why Roughneck Records stopped at 52 and went over to Rough Tech. 
uh, I was offered to buy back my own logo. <laughs> yeah. How much? Uh, uh, too much. And I said, uh, I'm not going to pay for my own freaking logo. It was even assigned to me in the court case. So you should yeah. just give it to me. And But then, you know, uh, I could, but then I would have to start a new lawsuit again. And I did not have any money because I lost so much money. I had to completely start over again. So I could not even do it. And out of principle, I was like, I'm not going to pay money to get my own freaking logo back, which is me. You should not be using it in the first place. I'm not going to pay you. Now, there have been plans all the time that it was being restarted by them and um, some other people, which I also will not name. But luckily, that didn't happen in all this time. And I have been offered this, this, uh, this logo many, many, many times during the years. And all the time I said, no, I'm not paying for my logo. Well, now it's less. You can pay less for it. No, and no. No, and I just didn't do it. It took me 14 years, 14 years, and then I finally got my logo back after the last deal that we made. And then we buried the hatches And I, because he said, you know what? I'm going to give you this deal. If you do this for me, <clears throat> then I will show you that you can make money with it. And then maybe we can work together. If not... I will give you the logo. So we worked together for a year with some merchandise and everything. And um, after the year, I decided, you know what? It's not working for me. So keep your part of the deal. And he did. All right, he okay. gave me the logo back. So this is why I became get got the logo back. And then that's, that's how I good, restarted. Good thing. Everything. Good things comes to those come to those who wait. Did you? Oh, um... I'm very patient, and now <laughs> I you know, I'm extremely patient. Trust me. I can tell. So, like, people can do shit for me, but I will wait. Not a week, not a month, not a year. I will wait 10, 20 years, but I will get you, you know, <laughs> at some point. So I I got it 14 years later, and now it's really mine. That um that that period mine sounds alone. that period sounds quite um mentally taxing um did yeah. it did it ever make you consider not working in this industry anymore hmm. a million times hmm. of course it's 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 yeah you know but i had a mission you know db i have a dream i had to continue on this mission some people say i'm a fool and probably they're right but this is who I am. And I, at the end of the day, I can only be who I am. You know, if I desert that, then I truly have lost. So now I'm going to be me <laughs> as long as I can possibly be. I, 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 if I could, I would, I would, it's not something I would like to do have this right now, but if it has to come this day, which will, I, I would be fine just dying on stage, just playing. <laughs> Done. You know, done. I, I mean, would love to. Do I mean, if you wanted to organize it, I reckon. I reckon it'd be quite a, a commercial pull. That I mean, if you wanted to organize it at some point, I think you know, a real showstopper. To be honest, 
<laughs> the only thing is you can only do it once. You, know? you have to do it right. You cannot just go, like, oh, and, I'm done. Oh, I'm back it, again. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got to really, really know that that's what you want to do as well. So, uh, you know, there's no there's no second chances on this. Um, and you so, could pull it off. Just, just do it and then just disappear forever, you know. But then now we're going to, oh, that's actually quite a good idea. Death <laughs> of a roughneck. <laughs> the final edition. <laughs> Um, so, um, Patrick, interested to get your take upon. So, we talk loads in this podcast about the split in the scene uh, in the UK. So, it split in like '93, and it went to Jungle and Happy Hardcore, and basically, Hardcore went down a route of four beat, which was copying a lot, really, of the um, of that continental sound that was created by you know yourself, Paul, etc., all that. Um, but it was way cheesier for me. The the the, the the beats were were cleaner and softer actually there was lots of cheesy rip-offs of pop tunes so for a bit it was quite good but it very quickly ate itself you're obviously someone who pays a lot of attention to what's going on in the uk were you aware of all this stuff happening um yes of course i was aware of it but um the the thing is uh happy hardcore in itself as, as i call it, happy hardcore from the uk in my opinion, is a bit different than the happy hardcore we had over here in Holland. And happy hardcore in the UK itself is not a bad, it was never a bad thing, um, in my opinion, because it was just hardcore that made you happy in a way that there was still very good tunes. And so this, 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 it was always around in the UK, happy, you know, that it became to a level where it maybe went too far a bit. I cannot really say so much about it, but of course I saw it, but I was okay with it because I understood it at some point that this is just the culture, how it is there. At a certain point, this moved over to the regular hardcore in Holland. And that's where it just really went horribly wrong, in my opinion, because then certain people picked it up because they saw it worked for the bigger masses to be commercial, to make a lot of money to become in the charts. Now they can say whatever they want, but this is the truth. And so they started doing this. And with this, the because this became uh, popular, in my opinion, with the wrong people who didn't really uh, had much interest in real hardcore or being happy with happy hardcore and still being hardcore, the, at a certain point, the normal hardcore became less accepted because too much of other people they they didn't really like the the real hardcore so much anymore because they were just happy 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 and more so this 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 there was a shift going on that i was absolutely not happy with and then when people started you know um putting this ploppy kicks in it and then just did this this this, this rainbow shit oh come on uh this this really started to this was my my toes and my I was cringing. I was cringing all it was just because I saw it going wrong more and more. Because when the moment you start to draw drop hard tunes, that people were like they just left, and I was like, this is not good. This is definitely not good. They have to stop it. But you know, it's all about the money. So they just kept on going with this because it's it's short term vision, and I've never been into this. I mean, you can have success, you know, if you make money, it's fine. But in my opinion, it's all about how this happens. 
and and then they started to use this this uh, art code to 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 build bring it into something else with the wrong reasons, destroying the scene that has been built carefully over years in a very quick uh, quick time, you know. So this also happened. Of course, it was inevitable. I already saw it coming, but I actually at a certain point I was like, please let, let this day come as quick as possible. Let hardcore die as soon as possible because it has to die to live again. And this is what happened. Of course, at a certain moment in time, the radio stations and everything, they also decided, you know, even because also the radio station, you know, it's for them, it's like, oh, this is like the, the craze now. So we're going to go into this for a bit. And then they don't care about the scene. They just want to have because now. So, it's, yeah. so you're talking about in Holland. So you yeah. had a, a, a very similar, <laughs> a very similar, similar even, death of hardcore. When was this sort of? Even worse. Uh, this was around 97, I think. 97, right. 98. Same, same, same sort of time, really. So yeah. you had exactly the same thing in Holland. Because they, they here they, they 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 saw it worked and then they made it even more cheesier and then poof into the charts and then that's the end of it because then then things you know they they, they started making video clips and they started to make a mockery of people who went to hardcore which they call cabers so at a certain moment in time this turned around and then people did not want to be associated anymore with the word gabber or being called gabber because they were being ridiculed uh, ridiculed that's the right word right yeah yeah yeah. 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 So it also me, like uh, people were laughing at me, oh, look at him, he's a guy, oh, look at him. you know, like, and that's, that's really hurtful because for me, it, it was never a craze. It was not about being to be this weird, uh, you know, this stereotypical image. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's serious music. It's music. It's hard. And you may call it simple. I don't care. But for me, it's serious music. So, but this did they turn it over into something which it wasn't? And of course, that that happened here. They they just yeah. So it died here as well, of course. And so, how did you manage? It was not, to... it was not ever cool anymore to like listen to this music. You know, it was becoming I don't know children's music or something. Like, well, how did you how did you manage to resurrect it or save it or bring it back to life or whatever you want to call it? Well, it was it was difficult because for a few years, of course, and it was sort of disappeared. That there were no parties anymore, uh, and but I still continued with the original sound. I started with dark core, you know, the slower hardcore, and I still um, played it. But you know, it it became that's why I wanted it to die because then it went underground again, which is where it belongs. So. I started playing it, uh, well, started, I still did it, less, of course, because there were less bookings, but I continued because I still believed in his music. So a lot of people just disappeared from the scene because there was not so much money in it anymore. So a lot of those those people disappeared, but th there were a few guys who just kept on going, one of which is me. <laughs> And that was difficult because I, I've, I've been to many parties where I w walked on the streets or just went there. And then people like actually laughing at me that I was still doing this music. And they thought that, that yeah, I've been laughed at a lot, to be honest. They'd be like, oh, look at this, oh, such a stupid guy. So, you know, that was difficult. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. But I just kept on going, and I also saw it in the crowd. There was like half, like, was half empty places and everything. Mm. And I could have stopped it right there and then, but no, I was, this is my music. This is my music. How did you afford to keep going then? <laughs> How did I afford to keep going? I, uh, I don't spend money on stupid shit. 
Fair yeah, enough. I, I, <laughs> uh, I, 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 never done drugs ever in my life. A lot of people that helps. don't even believe it because the way I looked in this nineties, I, I understand that people think that, but because I, you know, my eyes were way in the back, look very skinny, uh, unhealthy, <laughs> but that's just how I was. <laughs> I just was, I just, didn't, I just looked that way. Uh, so that, uh, also I didn't spend any money on that. The only money I spent, I, you have to understand, I, I went from home to my studio to make music and then back home to eat right. and sleep. Mm. This is what I did the entire nineties. And actually I'm still doing it right now. I'm, this is what I do, uh, <laughs> which is fine because I, I, I you know, I, this is what I like. This is me. So I did not spend a lot of money on uh, other things. I did not go on holiday for like about 15 years. Wow. I just went from home to studio, studio back home, and then to the party to spin. And then the money I got there, I used for food. And then that's it. That's really all. That's wow. all I did. Making So music. such dedication to making music. Well, that's uh, why I could still do it. And then at the same time, I tried to save a little bit. Uh, and um, I guess that, that that's how we did it. And we sold a few records here and there and, and because we started. And I, in the beginning, I got a little bit of a loan right after that, that horrible uh, thing with, with XSV from my, uh, from my uh, publisher because he believed in me. And, and, he, and with this, I could restart uh, my uh, record label that I, at that time I didn't want to do. But I had to, and at some, at some, for some reason, it was just bad enough to just hang on, you know. And that's how I kept on doing it. I and, didn't. And, as I said I didn't spend money on anything else. I didn't go on holiday. I didn't go on out. But I didn't go uh, out for uh, uh, rest. I went to a restaurant maybe once a year. Uh, nothing. Only. Wow. And so we, 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 so the Millennium Sound, we got a bit of that over here with yeah. Scott Brown's yeah. set. For, for me, I'm not a huge fan of it. I've got to say, um, I, uh, I don't like the kick. But you know, everyone's different, and everyone likes certain things. I'm much more of a, I like the distorted kick, really, of the '90s much more, right. and and the breakbeats and stuff. You know, like I like it raw and rugged. You know, but you know, it, like it made it, it did bring back a popularity, I suppose, didn't it? It, it, it sort of, I would imagine it. It, it, it helped it become a bit more commercial. And actually, we've seen, we see in Holland, I, I, it always fascinates me. You know, you see a Fire Nord game and they play, you know, DJ Paul um, tunes at halftime and stuff. It, it's really a part of society hardcore in Holland in a way yeah, that it just, it, it, it it just has it. never been in the UK. No, the, the, the Dutch people, we, we like hard music. Why? I, I, Why do you think that might be? Well, it started in the 90s. I don't, don't, I, don't I really don't know. But what is it you about know, Holland? What is it about Holland that that you know the really that you guys just you gravitate towards that four beat sound, or is it just that's what's happened through the nineties, and so therefore that was that's the, the the overarching sound? But the thing is, the rave scene in the UK is very very small now. I mean, it's so disparate. It's got so many different genres, and they don't come together and they don't work together. So it's it's big in its number. There's a lot of people, but in terms of its, there's no festivals in i suppose there are drum and bass festivals but you know you guys have got weekly things which are like 20 odd thousand people we just don't have that here there's a lot of money in here that's why there's a lot of yeah, but there's <laughs> only money in it because people are willing to go to it because people want to go to it so it's like yeah, what comes first how does the country become so well, it, it like all that? started in the 90s i guess but uh people just 
at a certain point they 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 had this new phenomenon where they had house parties and people got interested you know and then people started uh, you know they went to to acid parties you know in the beginning it was all it was all i still most of the nowadays slowly i start to call it different but at, at, for a long time i just called everything house because that's what it was to me there was no distinction between uh, a really hard song or a bit more you know uh, like tribal things it was all house and so this is how it started out so we started to have these parties just a few of them where they would play all this stuff it was a very new thing so my generation just went there and it was a new experience and they really liked it you know so from there there is a lot of them just did that and then of course they wanted more of this so it just had a little bit more and more and then at the same time we were developing sounds this split up into people who went into club music and to trance and then hardcore and techno and so this is already the base where it started to have a lot, lots of little scenes. And this just for some reason grew. Then, of course, the generation stopped, but, got, but they got, you know, kids and all that. And so they grew up with, with this uh, music as being, well, that's just the music that you go to. Because when I, I, when I was young, I just went to the disc, we call it discotheque, uh, you call it club, and they were just playing pointer sisters and uh, stuff that was in the in the charts so this slowly disappeared and then we we got you know these rave little rave thingies everywhere so this is just our culture now so there's money to be made there so then people started to give more and more parties so and then people are just used to the fact that this is how it is and we and there's a lot of music so now this is just a culture and you know it's young guys just want to a lot of them just want to be mm, revolting i guess <laughs> revolting against the system oh yeah. you don't mean revolting you uh mean re yeah sorry yeah, you mean rebellious, rebellious. yes <laughs> but also they could be revolting too i don't know i mean they yeah. might well be revolting people too. <laughs> uh, no they want to rebel and and they, they they like hard music they want to show that they're tough you know you know and that's that's i guess that's what it is for me for me it's it's just normal that this is the music now and to i don't know exactly if the if what i'm saying makes any sense at all but this is how i look at it and 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 has it since since, since you helped it rebirth so i mean you you helped it birth in the first place you helped it rebirth again you're like the sort of dj hicksy of the uh of the dutch scene is he sort of really as i said you know he's he really sort of developed hardcore then it died and then he sort of took it on again and did it in a sort of new direction so that's that's sort of you has it had any dip since then or has it been largely success since it since that death in in the late 90s well no of course uh there, there have been really bad times as well of course like um you know at a certain point it i i faked my own re retreatment of the scene and i got in shunned because of that because people thought i was a traitor because i said well i'm gonna stop in hardcore and i'm gonna do something else blah 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 and uh i'm gonna you know my my producers are gonna start a new label and this label at that time was called enzyme records and we faked the that that i was gonna stop completely with hardcore for, for a few years and they had to keep this up 
in order to you know make them big there was a plan that i that i wrote i wrote a plan like really yeah because at a certain point uh, there was there was this this thing where they didn't really want a roughneck sound anymore or it was in this as this era where hardcore was dying you know and so they they told me that you know my 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 DJs that I had at that time they could not uh, get like uh, gigs because they always wanted me. So I stepped down to make way for them. And 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 you know, and the only way to do this was to just say you know the Roughneck is no more available for hardcore and he's going to disappear. My new producer is going to start a new label. It's going to call. I told them we're going to call it Enzyme Records and you're going to pretend like you run the things. But in the in the back, it was just me. I love all this. This is so smart and inter- and fascinating. But that was hard. <laughs> a lot of people were really angry with me and said that I was a traitor and blah blah blah, all this stuff. But they had to keep. I'm it only up. joking, guys. I'm only joking. No, it's no, me. Never, yeah, no, I never did. No, if you if you if you do something like this, you have to prepare for it. And you, although you know you, you it, so I work in PR, and and actually a lot of what you do in PR is about. Um, anticipating reactions and fallouts and preparing yourself for that and so so you you had this idea you were like i know i'm gonna get shit for this but i've got to i'm gonna just get my nut down make it and then uh, you know at some point i can go i'm not i'm not really i did i didn't quit i made all this That's oh amazing. well in the beginning of course we said like of course in a few years then we will like you know slowly tell people how the thing really is but then you have to be already established because then it's too far you know they cannot just say oh no we're gonna stop you and you cannot play anymore because my plan it worked you know some of those guys they are on the top of the game now you know like uh, <laughs> it really really worked um and then yeah so then of course after a few years uh, well it kind of bit me in the ass because a lot of people don't really even know this story and they they really think that i just oh he came back again you know (laughs) because they don't know the real story that it was staged and i never left never but yeah this is a thing that i did not really anticipate because in my mind everybody is you know busy with it so much as i am which of course they are not (laughs) but uh yeah this is one of the things that i did not foresee that that people that it would take years for people to understand it or maybe even never to really see ah he never left that was that was clever no they like no he left and he just came back you fucking asshole (laughs) (laughs) you're like the you're like the cleverest man in rave patrick this is you're like the scarlet pimpernel of the rave world it's fantastic you know Uh, see him here see him there where is he who is he we don't know he's the mystery man this is brilliant (laughs) i even did this with night vision i kept this this up this earliest up for so long and people really thought at a certain point it was somebody else and then it turned out it was awesome. You must be really good at keeping secrets. I mean, I don't I, know that I'd be able to do this because I am uh, something, I mean, a polite way of describing it would be an open book. Uh, a rude way of describing it would be uh, a big mouth. Now, I don't know if I could, no, if, if I could do that. No, not me. If I, if, I, if, if I need to keep something a secret, I will. Wow. And if somebody tells me something that needs to be a secret, I will. I know a lot of shit about a lot of people, but I will never tell. Because that's, that's not me. I'm a principal. I'm a man with, with principles, which is at the same time also, I understand that for some people, this is really not funny to deal with people with principles. 
because a lot of people, <laughs> it is because a lot of people just want to just you know yeah so yeah but yeah, there's a lot of twats out you there. You are who you are, you know. There's a lot of twats out there. Um, so with in terms of Enzyme Records, do you know DJ Scorpio, by the way, from over here? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Right. Okay. So you, I don't know if you know, you you might not have seen my Scorpio interview. So we interviewed Scorpio on here as our first hard DJ. And by the way, any of you Dutch guys who want to, uh, or anyone actually who hasn't heard that Scorpio interview, it's well worth listening to. Um, check it out uh, among our previous interviews. But he names Enzyme as his favorite record label. Did you know that? I did not know that. No. So there you go. You are Scorpio's favorite. Scorpio from the tapes, duh. Yeah, well, quite. So <laughs> you are Scorpio's uh, favorite label, Enzyme. But did you know he's never played in Holland? No, I did not know that. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? Like you know, I mean, well, I've never played in Ireland. No, I know, but the stuff that he plays, the home of it is Holland. Like, so the idea that he's never played in Holland, I just find so bonkers. And he's like, well, you know, why would they take me over there? Because I'm I'm British and, you know, I, I didn't invent this thing and I'm I'm just sort of doing what they did, really. So why would they have me over there? I'm like, because you're fucking good, man. Like, because you're an amazing DJ and people would love to see you. Can we, we should try and get some sort of campaign going to get Scorpio playing in the home of Gabba. You know, because he's one of the leading legends of Gabba in the UK. We should get him, you know, get him playing over there. Can we get in touch with some promoters and get it to happen? <laughs> politics, mate. Uh, politics. What? What's the politics? politics? It's always about politics. We can, you know, people will probably hate me for saying this, but to, let's be honest, a lot of shit is just politics. <laughs> it is. Oh, what a shame. Well, look, listen, I'm going to yeah, make I, this. I have to deal with it. You know? I know. Yeah, but you're DJ Roughneck. You're like famed. You're you're a famed person. Yeah, it's not I, so simple. I have to fight for every gig. Trust me. Really? Yeah. Not in not in Scotland or whatever or anywhere else, but Holland. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How come? And <laughs> do you really want me to explain it again? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, it, it seems mad that you have to fight for a gig when you are basically such a key proponent of this music I, scene. Yeah, but that's not what it's about. I don't belong. I am my own free man. And free people, uh, you know, you're not part of something. So, of course, they will not they will not fight for you as hard as for their own artists, which makes it, in a way, kind of understanding. Like, you know, that's that's how it is. It's not nice. I mean, it's better now than it used to be. Because I, I, you have to understand, I went in in the nineties. I was a, I was a different guy that I am right now. I, I said I was very serious, very into my own thing. I didn't want to do, have to deal with anyone and and no nothing. Uh, I didn't even really like myself so much at that time, uh, but I didn't even realize. Now I'm way more. You know, I I I, I actually talk to people, and I you know. Uh, I can laugh with people and I, I, you know, I can think with them and all that. But at that time, I was very into my own world. And this thing, just this myth is, it was still around me for a long time. Even I was already moved on. Now I can, I'm much more uh, friendly with a lot of people. And a lot of people from that time disappeared. There's new people. So slowly it becomes a bit better. But I am still my own man, and and if you if you if you run a big uh, let's say festival or whatever, and and you have deals with 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 people that are in your company, of course they will have the first place, and then you will be at the end of the list. So if you have no 
no real value to them other than just spinning that's how it works you know is there not a demand for you among the ravers of course there is but uh, there is a difference between what what the people in the street know about this scene and what the scene you know will will bring to the people so what how do you view the the, the current because, dutch scene uh, pri prior to covid because obviously that's changed everything but how did you yeah. view the the current dutch scene to be honest i i i don't I, I, I'm still, I'm just trying to be busy with, with what I do, focus on my things. Um, and, and that's it, because I don't really look at other people anymore for a long time. I am busy with my own fans, my own thing, my own scene. At some point, I, I guess I've become my own genre. So I right. don't really have to deal with that a lot anymore. And it, to be honest, the people in the in the early, or early, I call it original hardcore, because that's what it is. I, I really really don't like the, the the term early rave because uh, uh i don't like early and it's not even rave so this whole whole term doesn't make any sense so the the people in the original hardcore as i call it i have very good contact with them and they know what i what i'm worth and what i bring so they see me actually uh, you know as one of the ones that really stayed and still does things i'm raising freaking vinyls again you know with the, the original sound uh, who does that? So, uh, Night Force. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, there's a lot. There, there's a real. There's... Yeah, in Europe, but I'm talking about over here. You know? Over here, you know, in the UK, there's a really big resurgence in that sort of early '90s breakbeat sound. I don't know if you have you, have you seen any of that stuff. Have you seen that, that there's a, there's a, there's a growing? I mean, the releases, the number of releases alone. I'm happy and with the... it because that's what I wanted it because I want to bring this sound back because I think it's much more interesting than. What's going on, to be honest, right now in in the newer stuff, it, it, like, but I've seen it. I've seen Night Force things. I'm in contact with them. Oh, do you think we might see a Roughneck uh, release on Night Force? <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> that sounds like a maybe, though. Your name's not Dan. You're not coming in. <laughs> So we're going to wrap up this uh, fascinating and thoroughly enjoyable interview with uh, oh, Roughneck. I have, so, I have so much to say. We can we can talk for days and hours. Well, I mean, I wonder we could maybe do a live Q and A afterwards, and we can get all of those gabber heads coming on and and asking you questions uh, like on, on a live Q and A. We'll we'll talk about that afterwards, Mister. Uh, no, that's Mr. fine. I'm perfectly up for this. Why not? Good man, you're a ledge. Yeah, you're, this this man is a fucking hero, right? Um, okay, so Roughneck, aka uh, Patrick Van Kirkhoven. Let's finish off this interview by sort of talking a bit more. about uh, about what's happened recently um you of course haven't played out in a long time uh, i know we all know in the uk what the situation is like here the government been not supportive at all in the slightest of the nightlife industry and they've had a lot of flack for that they uh there's there's been little guidance frankly about what when it might come back and, and what it might look like. They reckon no restrictions in June from June the 21st, but I suspect that's probably not the case and they might move the goalposts. But in terms of uh, the government's been criticised by festival promoters, et cetera, et cetera, gig owners for not supporting them. Whereas I know in Holland, there's been much more of a government backing for big festivals and events and that sort of stuff. What's it been like, uh, you know, during COVID for Dutch the Dutch rave scene and Dutch artists? They haven't done fuck all. Oh. 
Blazers. So that's just that's just PR then what they're saying, you know, about them sort of saying they're going to support the the Dutch festival industry because you, well, you're looking at now, that over here as you go now they done what they whatever is that they are having funds for the very very big ones, the very big uh, companies like I think like uh, Dance Valley and and and, and you know things like that but for the smaller ones and especially not for any of the djs like me or whatever that's nothing right there was a point where you could like apply for a bit of help in as a if you work in this industry for a bit of money but you had to fill in a lot of forms with all sorts of questions like like what i don't don't even want to go there and at the end of the day uh, i've heard some colleagues who did it and they actually had to wait for three or four months before they get their first payment. So then what? You don't eat for four months. You wait for your check if you don't have any money. So this, A, doesn't make sense. And then B, the, the, the amount that they would get, they would, it, it's just it's just nothing. It's just like a, a drop of water in the sea. It, right. It's nothing. So they, they, it's just more PR. They really didn't do anything. At a certain point, I looked at it, you know, just to see what the procedure was. But in the end, to be honest, I didn't. I just, I just had my own money, my own um, savings. Well, in a way, I suppose you're, you're fortunate in the sense that you've been, you've been training for this moment of not having any money for quite some time. I had to fight all the time for <laughs> everything. So I was like. Yeah, nothing really changed. <laughs> so this is kind of a funny situation where I heard like uh, big guys they like actually crying and shit that they don't have any money anymore, blah blah blah. And here I am, this old washed up uh, DJ, still doing my things. I'm releasing one thing after the other, vinyls, which I pay for myself. But I have a huge following, huge following of people who support me. Like so, I I release. Uh, um merchandise and, and and everything and 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 i have a lot of people who, who really my fans i'm most thankful for my fans because they they can they keep me alive all the time and they know that i i am doing also the best i can for them you know i'm, I'm not trying to give them any crap or shit or so in this way i could keep myself alive because i saved up and i knew that some at some points uh, there will be harder times. Uh, I did not uh, anticipate, of course, that it will take no. more than a year, but I wasn't prepared for the fact, oh, maybe there will be a time where I don't spin for three or four months because uh, there's a different craze or uh, somebody doesn't like me anymore again or something like that. Because I've I've been through all these times in yeah. so many times mm. that I, for instance, not being booked because of several reasons that does not have anything to do with me at all or or actually do have to do with me because for some reason so i saved up for this a bit and i was prepared for it and i have the back uh, backing of my my crowd so for me it was easier so i'm i i went through this all by myself but i know a lot of colleagues who who can't and they did not have any support from the government you cannot wait for four months or five months and do nothing so this whole thing it's i think it's more pr thing and it's at the end of the day it's only helping the big festival promoters and the really big ones mm. because you cannot just apply for, say hey i want to throw a party can you fund me well, that's not going to happen no 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 no, no.
I think it's it, it seems to be a lot of the similarities, not necessarily in the festival industry, but uh, in the UK, for instance, it's a lot of this has been penalizing small businesses and sending people to the supermarket. And you're like, I don't mean they need the help really on this. They're already flying high above everyone. But it's like, you know, you can't buy essential. They're open and you can buy everything from there, but you can't buy it from another shop. It's not essential, essential goods. And you're yeah. like, well, what's you're just punishing them. Uh, honestly, mate. We are, we're always this whole, uh, 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 our industry is at the very, very, very end of the list every yeah. time. That, I mean, I go to the supermarket. I bump into it's like it's like a freaking party into the supermarket. That's a, that's 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 completely normal and fine. Mm. But you cannot be at a party where people are sitting like five or ten meters away from each other, mm. even with a mask on. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it, so, this whole thing's been been looked at it in a very weird way. But we can, this is all the different discussion that people have different looks at it. But uh, yeah, our industry is is definitely not in a good uh, good place. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you how do you anticipate that the, the the rave scene will look like when we do finally come out of this in Holland? Well, um, I'm been looking for one of those rollators, you know, where where you can walk like with this thing, <laughs> probably <laughs> like a Zimmer frame. I, they're still not on sale yet, but I guess I'm gonna be needing one by the time we can actually do it again. How old are you anyway? <laughs> I'm immortal. <laughs> You're immortal, right? Okay, well, don't get somewhere, a Zimmer frame. Somewhere between uh, somewhere between two thousand six hundred and nine uh, and and close to death. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true oh you got a few years yet mr ravnet you, you uh, going I, for feel, I feel extremely young like i'm definitely not what what it says on my passport no no i'm uh, good good for I'm you i know well when we're back to normal tell all the brits who are watching this why they should come to a dutch rave which is also on my bucket list uh and i'm really really want to come why should they come and which would you, which would you recommend uh whew. Why would you come? Well, uh, if if it becomes back to normal again, the way it used to be, you mean, right? Like, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Why would you come? Well, to see the, the uh, probably the, the the size of the big festivals. That would be uh, one thing. That would be very interesting. Which is kind of funny because uh, the the way I see it, it what we have now is just a continuation of what the UK used to have uh because i remember at the time where of in in my mind i went to this thing uh um called resurrection and i i, I was like wow you even did that in a scottish this? accent i did <laughs> yeah. they're resurrection. So <laughs> i said they're gonna be so proud of me <laughs> No, I, I love to go there. Like uh, this, when I I saw this this festival, I was like, "Oh my God, what is this? This is so big!" And I saw people uh, with f f spinning fire and stilt walkers and all that stuff. This is what you used to have. Mm. I I've never, unfortunately, I've never been to a dreamscape. I would have died to go there so, to see these things or a helter skelter. I but you know I was too young, but mm -hmm. I did. Uh, perform at resurrection a lot and this was huge and then this crossed over to holland and yeah that's how the dutch do we pick it and then we make it bigger you know? make it amazing and so uh, now much much better now we have stuff like 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 a defcon uh um things like that you know mm. um and, and what, what, there are so many of uh, 
I know there's so many. We're in, I'm so jealous of it over there. Um, and would so you like it's, to? It's 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 a it's a huge event where you can go to a camping site and and in the area is so big that if I think about the first time that I went to Resurrection, it was really big. But if I look at it now, it's like uh, you know, it's a regular. Quite small. <laughs> you know, because it's so compared to the big ones that we yeah. have. Right? Yeah, of course. It, it, that that does not necessarily mean that these are my favorites. Because would you I like still... would you like to get more bookings here in the uk I mean, like uh, there's a couple of events one uh, called chapel of chaos which is run by uh, dj thumper who does some stuff over in holland he runs that and then live evil as well which is always a great event uh, at electroworks they're not big by any stretch because we've got a pretty small hardcore techno scene here small but dedicated yeah. um but they haven't got huge amounts of money i know but i'm sure that they would both be i mean i know thumper would love to have you over here would you like to do more in the uk of course I do, because I feel at home there. I do. Uh, this has this started in the 90s, I said, because I've been there so many times. So, yeah, of course I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a word in, and we'll try we'll try and get you over, and I can buy I'll buy you a beer at a Chapel of Chaos. Um, <laughs> looking looking back now, just uh, on your entire career, coming through the mad 90s rave scene, uh, both here and in and in Holland, um, how do you feel about your career? In, in in some turbulent <laughs> turbulent <laughs> happy though happy turbulent sometimes not always i'm just going to be honest there's also days where i'm like uh, i don't want it's like i don't want anymore you know this so my i see so because i'm 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 a guy who thinks a lot you know so and i see through things i see how things the mechanics i see how things work and i've been through many of the situations that just keep on coming back all the time so if you're a thinker, that's not always a very good place to be in. Uh, um, and, and given the fact that, that you know, I have not been very lucky money-wise with, with a lot of things, as you have heard. And uh, I've lost a lot of people where I thought they were friends and they were not. And so I've seen the nasty sides of this business right. over and over and over again. But at the same time, there uh, I have also met a few people that, that I've become really friends with and that are really, really nice. So there's also some good people out there and I'm very thankful for them too. So I guess this in the end, this is just how life goes hmm. um, because yeah, it would have been nice uh, if it and what was, was... would have been a bit more smooth, right? And sometimes a bit more easy, but this at the same time, this also has built character and this yeah. is why I don't give up. And that's why I will always be in your face. And pursuing pursuing art and creativity is very rarely smooth going uh, in any aspect of it, really, is it? Um, and, and what was your favourite year of the 90s and why? My favourite year of the 90s? Wow, oh, that's a really good question. I don't really know. Because I didn't, to be honest, I don't really have a lot of, I have a lot of memories of the 90s, but I was so focused in, in my own world at that time that I actually don't re even really know a lot about what happened around me because I was just focused on my studio and going to the party. So in a way, I've never been like a raver in this sense. I've just always been on stage. And now I am more aware of what is going around me. I go to the parties now more and I am more in contact with my my uh, followers, with the promoters, with, uh, with, a, with, with a lot of things. And I did not do that at that time because I had somebody else who, who did it. I would just 
went, they, they dragged me out of my studio. I would drive to the event, sleeping in the car. I would get out five minutes, woke up five minutes before I went in, did my set and left. <laughs> this is how I did it. And then I went back to the studio again, you know? Uh, but now I actually drive there myself. I do, you know, I talk with people. I talk with uh, with my fans. And so I'm much more aware of what's going on now. So in this sense, I would say it's probably more, well, not now, this COVID situation, but uh, the year that where I did uh, my 25 years of Roughneck Tour, this was in, I think it was 2018. Mm. Oh, so let's say between 2016 and 2018 was a very good year for me. And then at the millennium era around when I started spinning millennium music in, I think, 2000, 2000, 2001 or something, that was also a very, very good year. The, the year, every, every year, like there's a couple of years that I see this as like mini eras. They have a very special feel or vibe to it. And, to, to, and, and they're all special in kind of a way. Uh, so it's very hard for me to just pick one to say what is my favorite year i i know my favorite parties that i've been to but and then and then it would then you would go back to the era where it was resurrection uh, all the time it wasn't your favorite rave ever wasn't resurrection was it yeah, it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we've got you on here to talk all about the dutch scene and actually your favorite rave was scottish <laughs> <laughs> brilliant okay that's fine well, right. that's fine that is brilliant. I have been uh, you asked me but you didn't ask me about where i was influenced so much by it no, that's true. That's that's <laughs> true you've been you've been you've been fantastic but hopeless about telling us about the dutch scene but uh yeah that's that's good um patrick um before we go just finally um we love stories great stories here and great talkers and people who are, uh, who tell good stories just like yourself really which other dutch artists would you recommend that we feature because they're great raconteurs and got a great story? Which, uh, which ones do have a great story? Well, I know some colleagues that will, I don't know, the, the, the brain doesn't really function so much anymore. <laughs> no, I don't want to be disrespectful, but you have to understand a lot of people use a lot of drugs. So a lot of them don't really know a lot of what happened anymore. Like I am, I'm very clear, you know, about things. Um, Maybe so we've picked we've picked the best one, frankly, is but you know the yeah, best well, industry you could possibly get in Holland. I wouldn't say about that because you know I ha do have a lot of stories also about Holland. I have specific things, of course. But as I said, I've I've moved and for some reason I was a very famous person in this scene who actually was more famous outside of Holland uh, for some reason, especially in your country more than than here of course i became bigger here too but the, uh, you know you're unlucky as said because i i woke up just five minutes before i wanted to go back and i didn't really interact with a lot of people so <laughs> my whole character my whole story is completely bananas in a way it's yours i mean it's, it's solely yours isn't it it can't be anybody else's there's very little shared stories it's it's all about you particularly even like when you were creating the music under your fake pseudonyms which by the way the takeaway of this is one of those one of the most brilliant takeaways of this is that re those revelations uh patrick it's been i'm thinking about you which one that you could that you could talk well, it's fine to. it's fine it's fine it's fine maybe you can tell I me will say, i will think about it because i need some time to think about yeah, it yeah, yeah. i will send it to you in a private message is that okay 
if Sounds I, if good. I remember, because right now, at the top of my head, I would really have to think like, what could you say? What it sounds good to me, mate. Uh, listen, it's been a privilege to have you on. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. A, a real great romp through uh, your history, if not the history of the Dutch scene. Uh, but it's been fantastic either way. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, mate. It was my pleasure. And hopefully we'll see you uh, out and about again. We'll all come over. I'll, we'll get all the Raw crew, all the Raw listeners to come over to a big Dutch rave and then we'll show you how to do it British style in a Dutch setting to Roughneck. How does that sound? Brilliant, mate. Absolutely. Don't fuck with a Roughneck. <laughs>that's it for another episode of raw and if you like what you've heard we'd love you to get involved all of us here at raw hq buzz hard off how much you the raw crew enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch but we're now a team of five putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages we've got loads of plans to go further expand our team and offer but that does mean that our costs are also increasing so we could really use your help to keep raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation head to our website and click the paypal link that website url one more time rawuk.com respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis oi oi